You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, gals. Welcome back. Hey, we are continuing our journey here through the beautiful design series. You guys have been sticking it out with me here. This is, what is this, number six, I think, in this series. Once again, go back, listen to all of them if you haven't, kind of builds on each other. I think each of them are really important for us to hear. So today I'm going to talk about some things that are going to be really specific in terms for married women for this episode, but singles, don't tune this out. Marriage is a relationship But it's not the only way in which all of our roles play out. And we'll cover that more in depth in the last two episodes where we're going to look at the church and our world and communities as a whole. But I do think that it's still important for you to tune in for this one because, first of all, you might be married someday. So it's important to hear what the scripture says on this. But I also think maybe it's important, maybe you didn't grow up in a home where a biblical design and order between a wife and a husband was really walked out. And we need to come back to the scripture, regardless of what our background is, and see what it is, how these roles should be played out. So I love that the Lord's mercies are new every morning, because whether you are married and you've never really looked at these passages, there's something here. If you're single and you don't feel like they apply to you right now, hey, You need to know this stuff. What if you do get married someday and it's not like there's this this switch on your heart to flip on that you're just going to get this stuff and that you're just going to fall into it. So I think it's important to see what the perspective that the Lord gives us on this even before we're married. So married, or maybe you've been married for a while, but maybe you've really struggled with some of this. So I think, again, really important, go back to the scripture, see what it says, or maybe you're married and you're doing this stuff to the absolute best of your ability and bringing this to the Lord. But it's always great to come back to the scripture and just be encouraged and reminded about what it says. So we all need these. We all need these reminders, no matter where you're at. We need this encouragement found in the word. So today, what I'm going to look at specifically for most of this episode is a word that makes so many folks so uncomfortable. And I'm going to say it a lot. So prepare yourself. We're going to talk about submission. We're going to talk about submission. Did you cringe? Did you smile? What did you do? (laughs) I don't know. It's funny. I actually, I think we need to redeem this word. I think we need to realize that this is actually a good, good thing. And it's a get to, it's not a got to. Man, I could give you so many things that I actually think that this is so good. But I want us to look at these passages because I told you guys was as part of the series. I want us to not be thinking we need to avoid some of these passages that like, oh, okay, well, some people don't like that. So maybe ignorance is bliss kind of thing. No, we want to look at these because there are some really good stuff in here for us. And we need to know this. Submission is also one of those topics that often gets judged based upon its misuses. So we perhaps all of you, maybe you have, you've seen this in somebody else's marriage that it had some overlording husband or maybe an abusive situation that they were saying they were doing this all in the name of submit, you know, the submit woman thing. And when you hear this concept, when you think about the submission, you see that and you picture that and maybe that's your own experience or maybe that was somebody you know. But I I need to highlight for us, even before we get into this topic, that those are misuses of what is being said here. I'm not going to sugarcoat the scripture for you. I really want you guys to look at the word itself and see what it's saying. But I do want to caution us of 
taking something and checking the whole idea out because we are judging it upon its misuses and the ways it's been abused, perhaps, and not what is in the scriptures. So first, let's look at these passages that we're going to refer to. I, I'm sure y'all all have these posted on your fridge, and you know I'm sure these ones are your favorite, right? Well, it's all good. If it's not, it's okay. You don't need to have this on a mug, but we do need to know it. So we're going to look at Ephesians 5 first. Ephesians, and the specific place for marriage is a little bit later. I'm going to back up all the way to Ephesians 5.15. And I might mention this later, but I do, when you read in your Bible, keep in mind that the breaks, either the chapter breaks, or even, you know, sometimes you have those little headings that tell you kind of like what the content is for what's coming up. Those breaks, that's not really part of inspired scripture. They're helpful for us, like chapter breaks and verses. We're glad that they're there. They help us find things. But sometimes they do a disservice to us as far as like reading the whole passage in its context. And that's going to happen a couple times in some of the passages that we're going to look at. So I know a lot of you guys are listening to this while you're doing dishes or while you're cooking dinner. And so you probably don't have your Bible in front of you, which in some ways for this might help you because I'm just going to read it and you're not going to see that chapter break. But I wanted to also say that for the gals that might be looking at this and see how it's broke up in your Bible to try to block out that little white space that's there and maybe just read the verses straight through as they go. So just wanted to add that, but I want to back up all the way to Ephesians 5.15 because I think it adds some good context for this verse. So in Ephesians 5.15, you guys have heard me quote this one a ton because I think it is so applicable to our day today. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for in everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is and is his himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, we're going to read a little bit more later on, but I'm going to pause there. The reason I wanted to jump back for that context in there, and, and I really, if we had the time, I'd maybe even on your own time, go back, read all of Ephesians 5. Read the context of what the Ephesians, what Paul is even talking about there, because I really think it really sets the stage for this passage. Now, the piece I read to you about wives submitting to your own husband, that's the lightning bolt of this book. That's the one that people think gets all the press, and that's just, whoa, that one's really scandalous. But contextually, look what it's talking about here. You know, you're backing up to Ephesians 5.15. The reason I wanted to read that one, the look carefully how you walk one, not as unwise, but as wise. Because even in this conversation that we're going to talk about submission, this is an opportunity for us to look at an issue and say, hey, I want to walk as wise, not as unwise. I want to walk according to what God's word says, not what my own flesh says. So I love this context because it really does tell us that it's a choice that we can make here. We can walk as wise or we can walk as unwise. But that next part, the days are evil. And I just think this is so important for us, guys, because we all know that these days are just nuts. And I say this often, but I really just feel so convicted that we don't want to waste these times. We don't want to waste these days that we have to walk as unwise. 
And I think if we want to push against this whole submission thing and something that is absolutely biblical, we're going to be walking as the unwise. So that's where this is at. And like I said, if you had the time and you go back and read all of Ephesians 5, as the context of this is the very first verse in Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore be imitators of God. Imitators of God is the word that it gives us there. Imitators, not of the world, not of even someone else's marriage. Guys, you may observe a marriage that you just think is a godly marriage and, oh, wouldn't it be great if my marriage looked like that? No, it doesn't say to be imitators of that. So don't be an imitator of the world. Don't be an imitator of someone else's marriage, but be imitators of God. So kind of keep that context too, then as we look at this. Another piece with this is I think it's important in that section I read that it says that you're to be filled with the spirit. The part where it says, don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but it says be filled with the spirit. And there is a word for us too, because as we are going to talk about submission, there's going to be all kinds of opportunity in this conversation for us to go, ooh, don't like that, don't like that, don't like that. But remember, that's our flesh talking. That's our flesh saying the things that don't feel good to us or don't sound good to us, and we don't want to do that. But if we are being filled with the Spirit, first of all, it's not you that's even doing all this stuff. It's the Lord that is when you're submitted to Him first and foremost, and you're walking in obedience to Him. We can ask to be filled with the Spirit and allow that to work itself out in our marriage and how we act out submission and, and these things that it's going to talk about in Ephesians 5. So the context with the Spirit as well. So then verse 21 is where it says a really important piece that is also great to know before you're going to get to the lightning bolt piece that everyone has all the issue with is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Two pieces to that that are super important, submitting one to another. So that's that first part. That is the backdrop of this whole conversation for wives and husbands, for everyone to be submitting one to the other. Other scriptures talk about preferring one another before yourself. and But it's this back and forth of being submitted one to another. It's lovely. It's a congenial relationship. It's a relationship that's working in harmony, submitting one to another. But then it says, out of reverence for Christ. I'm so thankful that piece is added to it because it can be difficult to submit one to another, even if it's not your spouse, just on your own. There's going to be people that rub us the wrong way. There's going to be people that have different ideas that we just don't like, and you just might not want to submit one to another in and of your own strength. But then it says, out of reverence for Christ. So you're doing those things, you're submitting one to another, even if it's a person that might be a little bit more on the difficult side, not necessarily because of that person, but you're doing it out of reverence for Christ. That is the whole piece that we need to understand as we talk about wives and husbands and submission, whether it's one to another or whether it's in a marriage relationship, it's out of reverence for Christ. We do these things because we obey Christ first. So that's the backdrop there. And then it jumps into verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There it is again, that little reminder, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So just as before in verse 21, it was saying that we want to submit to our husbands as in reverence for Christ. Same thing here. As you're submitting to your husband, you're doing the obedience there, but it's as to the Lord, as if you're obeying the Lord. Doesn't that kind of turn that even before we really get into the nitty gritty here of this, thinking of submission as not obedience or submission primarily to your husband first, 
but back that up just a little bit. And it's submission and obedience to the Lord. You're obeying, you are submitting to the Lord. That carries some weight to it when I read that. Now, our modern day definition needs some work. I think we have tweaked it. I think we've messed it up. I think there's some things that are true and that's fine. It's just that we don't like it. And so we just want to throw it out. But often our modern day definition of submission is to be weak and to give in, to give up power. And there are some elements that there is some giving in to because we are deferring to our husband's authority in submission. That's okay. That's all there. But we overall, the world just paints it into a terrible picture. Nobody wants to do this. This is awful. Why would you do that? What's so special about your husband? You're going to catch yourself if you allowed your thoughts to travel all kinds of little things, you know, like we talked about in last week's episode, 50 years of junk that the world has thrown at you on why this is a terrible idea. Well, God's word says something different. So that's why we're going to look to it and we want to look at what it really says about it. So let's first just redeem this definition of submission for a second. I love, love, love Pastor Brett's analogy of how he talks about submission. Before I was working in women's ministry, I used to work weddings at our church for years and years and years. I helped out with rehearsals and all that kind of stuff. The awesome part, it means that I went to, I can't even tell you, literally hundreds of weddings that I got to hear Pastor Brett and other pastors at our church talk about what marriage should look like. And Pastor Brett always gives this analogy of submission to liking it to a roof. Okay. So if it is raining like crazy outside, let's even up it. It's hailing outside. You, you can have the choice. You can go stand out on my driveway and just get pelted by the hail. Or you can choose to come into my house and be under the covering of a roof. You will be covered. You'll be protected. You're not going to get pelted by the hail. So that picture is sort of what we're looking at when we're looking at submission. It is coming underneath of. It is getting the covering. It is truly, truly a blessing, a protection and a covering for us. I like to give us that picture too of submission because that's not the kind of thing that the world wants to tell you that submission is. They want to just paint this awful, ugly picture, but that's not what scripture is talking about. So Let's keep that picture in mind as we move through this. Now, I'm going to point to a little bit of some finer points with this. I I heard a Bible teacher once say that submission isn't actually in the Greek. And then he went on to kind of discount the whole idea of wives submitting to their husbands based on the fact that actually in chapter 5, verse 22, it does not say, or verse 21 rather, does not say the word submission. I want you to please picture the hand in face emoji here. This kind of kills me, okay? And I'm taking just a little bit of a segue for this because, ladies, you do not need to know the Greek to understand God's word. Who we are in Christ, salvation, none of that. You just don't. Even the finer points like this with submission, like here in Ephesians. And I do get a little frustrated by folks that make it seem like you have to have a seminary degree to know the Bible or you you just have to be an academic and you got to understand the Greek and all that. You just don't. Now, remember who wrote the Bible, first of all. Think about that. Shepherds, fishermen. There were some more learned folks. Tax collectors. Paul was a Pharisee. Now, it's interesting that our Pharisee friend Paul here, typically it's his books. He would probably be denoted as the scholar. His books are the ones that get attacked probably the most. But the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of God's word and the ability to really understand the truth that God has for us. And 
we don't need the ability to read the Greek or the Hebrew to necessarily do all of those things. You know, James 5.1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We can ask the Lord to show us the wondrous things that he has for us in his law. It tells us that in Psalm 119.18. Now, I do like to study those things. I do like the use of language that's used. And I think that's really beneficial in, in your study. But I haven't found a definition of a Greek or a Hebrew word yet in one passage that lends to a contradiction of something in the Bible. That's not going to happen. The Bible does not contradict itself. So here's what I mean by this. And, and I know this is a little bit of a detailed side note, and many of you may listen to this and think, yeah, I'm not really being tripped up on the fact that the word submission, which is the Greek word hypotasso, isn't in Ephesians 5.21. But I spend just a few minutes here to make you aware of this little tactic, because you might not hear it. And maybe it won't be you that hears it. Maybe your kids might. It might be something at a Christian school or a college or maybe a church that your kids check out someday. The enemy is out for our kids today too. Just as much as he's out to pick you off, he is absolutely out for our kids. And he's going to throw that little seed out there of, did God really say? Remember, we talked about that last week with Eve. And I see that even in this argument right here. You know, Did God really say we're to submit? And so they can use these kind of some fancy scholar academic sounding tactics that say, well, it's not really in the Greek. And so clearly we don't need to do that. This is totally did a God really say tactic. They'll say, you don't really need to submit. That's just a cultural thing and all of that. Now, on the cultural context, Pastor Brett touched on that in his episode a few weeks back. He had some great stuff to say on that. So I don't want to completely throw out the cultural context and say that is never relevant because it is. But on the cultural piece, here's my little litmus test on that. If the context of a scripture draws us back to the created order, which next week when we look at women's roles in the church, we're going to see that, or if the instructions we are getting is a parallel to Christ and his relationship with his church, I'm going to be pretty careful about not messing with that. So be careful of a couple things. I threw a little bit, probably too much at you at one time on there, but we want to be careful that people don't pull some little tactics of like, well, the word's not really there. And we'll look at other things because I'm going to give you guys a bunch of scriptures where the word absolutely is there. So even though it is true that that word itself in the Greek doesn't exist right there, contextually, it's totally there. It's right above it. And it's also below it. And it's also in Colossians. And it's also in First Peter. So we're going to look at all of those things. That, that's just a little sneaky tactic that people will try to discount a real truth of God's word by something that is, they're taking something out of context. They're just ripping something out and saying, well, this isn't right here, and so you don't have to worry about it. I could say a whole bunch more about that. I guess if, if that was something that you're really tripped up on, send me a message and I will elaborate on that. But I just wanna add that as we look through these, anybody can do this, okay? We can all read the scriptures. We can all ask the Spirit to give us wisdom and see these things. So that litmus test that I talked to you about a little bit, you know, that if something that if it's bringing back to the created order of Genesis, and, and we'll see that next week, or it's giving us instruction that's paralleling Christ and his relationship to the church, those are really powerful things that I just, we just have to handle so carefully. Marriage is a picture of that. Marriage and the submitted 
order that we have here, it's because scripture is telling us that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. So let's keep reading in Ephesians 5, 23, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is really important because hopefully I didn't read too fast. Maybe go back, read Ephesians 5, 23 and that whole section there, because he's continually giving this imagery of it's that church, that Christ's relationship to the church is what we're seeing paralleled within the marriage relationship. So this is important because when we see submission, that is why there's going to be even more weight to this whole conversation. Other places that we see this, we see this in First Peter 3. In verse 1, it says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So again, that time they don't translate the word as submission. They say it is be subject. And the word it's defined there is to place or arrange under or assign. Again, I, if we could redeem this a little bit, sometimes we may have this image of being subject like you're being given an order and we hear it in a mean voice. Well, we are kind of being given an order, but there's also that order to it. The order, there's just order and structure within what God's giving us here. But also check the context there on the first Peter one, because did you notice that it said likewise? Well, likewise what? For that, you have to back up a few verses and read in first Peter two, very end of that chapter. It starts in verse 22. It says, he committed no sin. So this is talking about Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So the likewise is that we are to be subject to our own husbands just as we are subject to Christ. Talked about that in Ephesians. It's the same type of thing there, right? Being submitted one to another, but it says as to the Lord. That's the way in which that we are, we are have that submission. It's to Christ first. Now, in some ways that likewise could really stop you in your tracks because it's saying likewise to be subject to your own husbands as we are to Christ. And we're like, well, okay, but Christ is perfect. He's God. That part's easy. But our husbands, they're sinners just like we are. In Ephesians 5.33 that we read a few minutes ago, that very last part of that verse, it says, see that the wife respects, or actually that word there is reverence, her husband. So this one can be tough because we're thinking, well, man, I don't know about this. We can respect and reverence 
God. The only other time reverence is used in Scripture is in how we are to have a relationship with Christ, with God, that we're to reverence God. And again, that part's the easy part, right? Because God's perfect. But our husbands are sinners just like we are. But the instruction here in Ephesians and also in First Peter is that we would likewise, with reverence, with respect, that we would have that for our husbands. But you'll notice it doesn't necessarily say when our husbands are just rocking it, when they're doing amazing at everything. It just says that we're supposed to respect and reverence our husband. I'll talk about that in just a minute in another example in scripture. But our obedience to being submissive to our husbands is unto our obedience unto the Lord. I think that's really important for us to preface this conversation with submission, because if we were doing this because we would do this unto Christ, we would do this unto the Lord. You are obeying Christ by being submissive to your husband. A couple other places that we see this, we see in Colossians 3.18, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And again, it adds that little piece at the end, as is fitting in the Lord, okay? I love this because it continues to remind us and almost take our the flesh equation out of it of, I don't really feel like it or I really don't want to. Well, you might not, but as is fitting unto the Lord as unto the Lord, that likewise, that peace that says that we're doing this because this is an act of obedience to Christ himself. Again, I love the full context of this. In Colossians, if you go back and, and read there, Paul is talking about putting on the new self in Christ. He says in verse three of Colossians right there, and in verse three, three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. These passages, they've been attacked over decades, really probably even longer, particularly since the feminist movements, for sure, which we already explored those in the, a previous episode. And really, those movements, for the most part, have predominantly been godless. And in some cases, they've just been completely evil. But these passages, Colossians 3, Ephesians, First Peter, these have all been attacked often over the years. And sometimes I think the attacks are rooted in just perhaps our selfish desires to not be ruled. I don't think we covered this in the Eve one, but do you remember what it said was part of the curse? If you look in Genesis 3, 16, after the fall of man, after they had sinned in the garden, this was the, what God said that the curse would be. And he said to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And then he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you right there. It was actually part of the curse that your pushback against some of these passages, that it would be there, that you would be contrary to your husband. But, but, you know, yeah, you're going to be contrary at times, but it's saying he shall rule over you. That is part of the curse right there. I think you can look at other places, and I think we'll look at this a little bit when we get to the church piece, because there's also an order. Adam was created first and then Eve. So there is that order that I think that, that we can see a consistency with submission, even within the created order. But I think also with the curse here, you can see that there is going to be this pull and there's going to be this kind of this thing in you, your flesh, that's going to want to be contrary. But it says he shall rule over you. So rule, dominion, he will be in charge. You will be subject to him, being subject one to our husbands. That's how First Peter worded it. And Women, we don't like that sometimes. We don't like this idea that someone else is in charge. Sometimes these passages on submission and women really being walking in their calling and being submitted to their husbands, I think are attacked 
perhaps because of valid misuses of authority and men that were not walking in their God-given calling. They were not loving their wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, dying for her. They weren't doing that. But as I mentioned before, you'll notice in Ephesians that it, it tells us that we are to respect and, you know, that word reverence our husbands. It says that we're just to do it. It, it doesn't say when they're just doing amazing. It doesn't say when they remember to bring flowers on Valentine's. It just says that we're to reverence our husbands. So pause on that because I do think this is a place where sometimes our flesh wants to come up with a whole bunch of reasons why we shouldn't do that thing. But keep in mind, if you're going to do that, you're going to push against with something that the Lord is saying that you are to do. It says we are to reverence our husbands. I got to take you to another passage, and I'm going to paraphrase the story. I won't read the whole thing. But if you have time, go back and look at Genesis, the story that happens in, in Genesis 12. Because we have the story of Abram and Sarai here. And what I think is great about this, well, it's actually not that great of a story. But what is amazing is that we see an example here of kind of what I was just talking about, of husband not really rocking it, and yet the wife submitting to her husband. So if you look at Genesis 12, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read sections of it. Go back and read it. But you're going to find the story of Abram and Sarai going down into Egypt. And Abram is not walking in courage and he's not walking and being really the husband to Sarai that he should be in this story. He, it's really a story of him kind of saving his own skin. So this is not an example of Abram just killing it as a husband here. What happens is they're going down into Egypt and he is recognizing that, Sarah, you're beautiful. And he says that, he says in, in, in verse 11, he says, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And then he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me. So basically, Abram's scared. He's like, they're going to see you. They're going to think you're beautiful. They're going to want to take you into Pharaoh's harem. And so they'll just kill him. So to save his own skin, he says, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. It'll be great. It'll be fine. I won't be killed and we'll be able to get the food that we need and all that kind of stuff. It'll be good. So sure enough, they go to Egypt. Sarah, they do notice that she's beautiful and she is taken into Pharaoh's household. But here's what happens. It says in verse 17 of chapter 12, it says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house was great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And so Abram, he called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? And then he gives her back to him. And it's an interesting story how Abram ends up getting immensely blessed because it says that Pharaoh gives him, you know, flocks and all kinds of stuff to take with him, but basically leave so that, that the Lord will remove this, this affliction from my household. So not a story where you see Abram really doing what he should. Now, awesomely, Abram actually does this twice. Later, chapter 20 of Genesis, he does a very similar situation, not with uh, Pharaoh, but with Abimelech. And it's like, wow, you really? You did, did it twice. Now, why do I bring up the story? The reason is, is because we have in First Peter, just after that passage that I read you earlier about wives being submissive to your husbands that it said in First Peter, we see this little little drop that Peter puts in there about Sarah and the way in which we he talks about how we are to be adorned with a gentle and quiet spirit. And he says this specifically of Sarah in 1 Peter 3, verse 6. He says, as Sarah 
obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is an interesting verse here because, no, we don't necessarily see in this passage, there's no dialogue where we hear that Sarah says this to Abram, but we know, as Peter is commentating here on the Old Testament and the story, that Sarah was submitting to him. She was submitting to this terrible plan. And it says by calling him Lord, by saying, yes, she obeyed. She did what he wanted her to do in this situation. Now, as you see the story unfold, you see that, man, the Lord totally protected Sarah. He made sure no one came near her, that she was not harmed. And and he did the same thing when Abraham repeated this in Genesis 20. The Lord protected her. I love that picture because remember, we've been talking about that submission is not just about submitting to our husbands first and foremost. It's doing so out of obedience because it's as unto the Lord. It's as unto Christ himself. And Christ is perfect and we can trust him and he protects us and he covers. And we see that here in this example here with Sarah. Abram wasn't doing a great job. He wasn't being the husband that he should have been, but the Lord protected her. I love that Also that piece in that verse that says, you do good if you do not fear anything that is frightening, not fearing the things that are frightening. It doesn't say that there won't be frightening things. I can't imagine that Sarah was terrified in this situation in Egypt and then later with Abimelech, terrified to be a woman, to be so vulnerable and be put into that situation. That would have been terrifying. But it says, don't fear anything that is frightening. Now, Just based on the circumstances, you would say, oh, my goodness, there's all kinds of reasons to be fearful. And thinking of submission, you're like, oh, no, this doesn't sound like a good plan. You know, my husband does this, my husband does that. But we don't fear the thing that is frightening because we trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. I also don't want to paint the picture that, boy, submission's just a piece of cake. I've obviously given a really tricky example here with Sarah. Even more so, I I have experienced this in my own life and in my own marriage. I feel like, I don't know, I'm sure y'all are married to some amazing guys, but I just, my husband makes so much of this so easy for me. So I truly, truly, truly feel so blessed. But I don't want to paint the picture that submission is always easy and that it's just never going to ask you to lay down your thing. For me, I think one example I think of with this for Chris and I was the timing of when to have more kids. My pregnancies were rough. I was really sick with all of my kids. I mean, it was basically like a, you know, a good seven months of throwing up. It was just miserable. So pregnancy wasn't a breeze. And then I had my lovely firstborn. And I'm not kidding. He, I, It felt like he just came out screaming. And he just kind of didn't stop crying for months and months and months and months and months. And so me, first time mama, you're going, hmm, I think I'm going to be able to hang on and wait a little bit before we do number two or, you know, anything like that. We're just going to wait on having more kids. So that was what I was thinking, right? But I vividly remember the conversation that Chris and I had when I realized when he was basically like, no, yeah, let's have more kids. This is gonna be great. Now, this was a moment, girls. This was a moment when I'm sitting here thinking, okay, wait a minute. My flesh was going, okay, I'm the one who's been throwing up. I'm not sleeping. At this time, my oldest was like 10 months old, still full on in the, well, actually, I think the time of this conversation was before then. But anyway, I mean, we were still in the screaming stage. We were still in the, it was not a really blissful time in our, in our home. And I was still adjusting to so many things and I'm not sleeping and, you know, all of the things that you go through when you're a first time mama. 
And so this conversation to think like, oh, we're not going to put the brakes on. We're just going to, yeah, let's let's have kids and we can have them close together. And so I was concerned. Yep. But I also knew that I needed to submit and trust the Lord. And I'm just going to tell you guys, I think I felt this in my head and not so much in my heart at the time. So I, I just can't paint for you guys a picture that I didn't, I was not on board. Okay. But I knew that I needed to submit and trust the Lord. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this will probably be a while. I'm sure it'll be a couple of years. Nope, 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 nope. My oldest was 10 months old when I found out I was pregnant with my second little guy. So, oh goodness, I can't even tell you. The first three months of that pregnancy was all so much fun because I was sick again and at the end, the, you know, had a little guy too that was still kind of in the screaming mode. I think Evan had some health issues during that time too. And so it was just like, it was a trial. So when I offer this word and I and I tell you guys to look to the scripture and, and really take the submission thing serious, know that I'm not necessarily saying it's just going to be a piece of cake and no problem. But I also want to give you the flip side. In this example, or in the story I was just telling you about with, with us having more kiddos, I cannot tell you guys how much of a blessing that the Lord gave me with my second, with my second born, with my Caden. I just described to you my firstborn, everything about it was real tough. He is an absolute joy today. But for sure, his first couple, two, three years were, whew, they were a doozy. But what the Lord did, and I just felt like this was just something that he, just a kindness that he did for me. But I remember the day that Caden was born, he was so quiet, first of all. <laughs> he was so quiet and sweet. And I remember looking at him in the hospital going, Oh, this is why women keep doing this. This is why you have more kids. I was like, oh, I get it. It was such a blessing and a kindness of the Lord. The Lord totally could have made my second one absolutely as colicky and all of those things. But nope, no, no, no. He was like, you got to see this, Amy. You got to see this. This is great. And he gave me Caden. And Caden, baby Caden, it was unbelievable to me. And I was just constantly reminded of this goodness of the Lord of like, you know what? You submitted to Chris, you submitted to me, you submitted to my timing in this. And look at the blessing that I brought you. And it was just lovely. It was just such a great moment that really spoke to my own heart in that. So submission, it might not always be easy, but it is really a beautiful thing. It is a thing that points back to the relationship of Christ and his church. And practically the way it works out is a covering and it is a get to and not a got to. It really, really is. The other thing that we look at when we think about our roles, roles as women in the home, particularly if we're married, is the idea of being a helper fit for him. That's what it says in Genesis 2. And we did an entire episode on this, and it really wasn't that long ago. I, I think it was called Making Helper Cool Again or something. See, I'm always trying to redeem these terms for you guys. You know, submission, helper, it's all good. But Genesis 2, that was when he says, he sees that Adam, he greeted Adam, and he's like, ooh, not good that man should be alone. And he says, I will make a helper fit for him. And back in that episode, we looked at that word at Sarah, which is is the word for helper. And I'm not going to rehash all the things that we looked at in that episode, but I do think that's important for us to really look at that word. It is something that our culture has definitely taken and just run amok with it. It's not what we want at all. It really is a role of strength. When you see how that word is used in other places in scripture, it often refers to God. 
You can check out Psalm 75, where it says, you are my help and my deliverer. Psalm 121, verse 2, it says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. I mean, when we're talking about saying that God is our help, that's the same word that he gave to you and I as our role in what we're supposed to do. Remember, we go back to that design thing that we have equal value as image bearers of Christ, image bearers of God, but we have distinct roles. And this helper role is critical for us to really get down. I wish I could just take away all of the the negative connotations that you probably or the negative pictures that you think of when you think of that word as far as what it, how you walk in that role as a helper. Because for us just to even imply that there's even distinct roles, right? We can go back to some of those episodes where we looked at that, that we don't even like the idea. It's scandalous to think that there are different roles between men and women. But we, we've talked about this at length, and we know that that's what is part of God's beautiful design for us, that we've created men and women with distinct roles. Remember in Genesis that, I will refer back to that again, but it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. That's what it tells you in Genesis 2.15. And then three verses later, it says, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So more simply, God gave man work to do, and then he created women, woman to help him do it. You know, when we looked at the equality episode, the equality episode laid like everything about that whole little passage, except that pesky little word helper that we are talking about right now. It's just the mere thought to our world, to our culture. It's like patronizing and it's, you know, it's just beyond our dignity. But I'm rehashing a few things from the equality episode, but that's important for us to just kind of keep this in mind that this helper role, that's the culture. That's the world that's kind of telling you all those things. Biblically, it's a beautiful place to be. So practically, what does this look like for the helper role? And what can that look like for you guys in your marriage? Sometimes I think this is just a very simple question, does not have to be overthought, of just asking your husband how I can help. Is there something I can do that could help you today? It could just be a simple question. If you're thinking about a decision that you're, an idea or something that you're thinking about, does that help your husband or does it do something else. You know, how do the things that we're doing, the choices that we're making, all of those things, how do they help? How are we being a helper in that? I have a great example that this actually just came up in our house last night because my youngest was telling me about a friend of mine that he said that, you know, she's just a really good example, I think, of a great wife. Now, This was kind of funny conversation to me, I have to say, coming from my 14-year-old. But I loved this observation that he had. But he was talking about that he had observed when he had been at their house that I guess the husband and one of her kiddos were going to be going on a trip. And he, at the last minute or something, needed to go and do a conference call. And so the car wasn't cleaned out, things weren't ready and all of that kind of stuff. And so my friend, she was out getting the car cleaned and getting things packed up and getting ready. And and Brennan, he just comes up to her and he's like, well, that's really nice of you to, to do all of this and, you know, make it so they can go on this trip. And her response was just, yeah, this is my job. This is what I do. I'm helping them out. It wasn't a big deal, right? But I, I love just even that simple example of her going out of her way to she, I'm sure there are plenty of other things that she could have done. But in that moment, she was like, what can I do to help right now? What can I do to help? So sometimes it can just be something so simple with asking how we can help and fit into that role. 
But as I continue to say these words like helper and submission, I know none of these words, nobody, the world doesn't like these words. But especially when we come to this role as helper, it's a support role, but it's not weakness. Elizabeth Elliot talks about this as well. And I've referred to this book quite a bit. It's called Let Me Be Woman. It's definitely not a politically correct read. I'm going to tell you that. But I love that she just calls a spade a spade. She's also a woman that she was single. She was married. She was widowed. She was married again. She had experience working in ministry. She authored books. You know, she has all kinds of experience, but she most definitely takes the word at its word. And like I said, she calls a spade a spade. So heads up if you want to read Elizabeth Elliot. But she, there's this quote where she quotes Psalm 114, 12, when she, we're talking about us being these helpers in this support role. And in Psalm 114, 12, it says, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Okay, did you catch that? It says our daughters like corner pillars of the structure of a palace. So this is what she says about this in Let Me Be Woman. She says, pillars uphold and support. This is a woman's place, and all of us need to know what our place is and be put in it. The command of God puts us where we belong. Okay, like I told you guys, not very politically correct, for sure. But is anything she said not true either? So before you get all kinds of offended, really think about it. Because what she's saying here is what Psalm 114 is saying, in that we are like a corner pillar cut for the structure of a palace. When we decide that we don't really want to be a corner pillar anymore, that's not very flashy. That's not very exciting. And say maybe we say we don't want to be the corner pillar. We want a more obvious role. We want to be that accent wall that everyone notices when they walk in the room. Well, when we choose to do that, if I can take that picture and say practically what would happen if you did that, if you don't have that corner pillar holding the structure up, what's going to happen to the structure? It's going to fall. It's going to collapse. God says, I want you to be in that critical place on the side that is supporting the very structure itself, the corner pillar. I mean, we are not diminishing the role that that corner pillar has. It's huge. You've got to have it. Ladies, it's critical in your homes, that we know that we are supporting something. We play a very critical role in that. So I pray that that you'll kind of sit with this and ask the Lord, if you're married, how can I help my husband? How can I better respect and how can I submit to him in the ways of the Lord? How can I do this as unto you, Lord? We can choose to obey this knowing that God created us for this. He doesn't make mistakes. We have a distinct role to play. And if we don't play it, if we choose to go our own way and say, that scripture isn't for me or whatever, our structures are going to suffer. Our marriages are going to suffer. And there's a ripple effect here. And I think as we look next week, when we get to the specifics of the church specifically, I think we're going to see how it goes from there. When we deny the pieces that scripture says of, this is who I created you to be, it's not less than it's wonderful. It's a role of strength. And then even in terms of submission, looking at that as, oh, this is a get to, this is a covering for you. This speaks to a greater picture of Christ and his church. It's something that we really want to give great attention to and really honestly take a look at scripture and say, how are we doing on that? So 
I know, gals, that was a lot. That was a lot. I get it. Remember, don't take my word for this stuff. Go back and look up these scriptures and ask the Lord for wisdom and for the willingness to just obey his word, regardless of what the world would say or even what our own flesh tells us. Always go back to the word. Okay, I'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.